Okay, good morning, church. Oh, hello. I guess the mic is on. Extremely on. Uh, good morning. It is good to see everyone. Um, it is, uh, we, the Henderson House, uh, we are very excited because we feel like we've had the parade of foreign dignitaries in our home over the last couple of weeks. We're, we're really thrilled because Amanda's mom, Valerie, is visiting us all the way. Uh, my, my, uh, my habit is to say Houston, but technically she's actually in College Station. Brian, she has now uh, foregone and despised her previous Longhorn affiliation and is now has gone into the land of Aggies. She, she married a professor of architecture there, so uh, part of her heart's there, but part of her heart is always battling. And so if you don't know the Longhorn-Aggie uh, you know, kind of conflict... Uh, rivalry, bitter civil war, yeah, depending on how you define it. So, But it is so amazing to have her with us. We're excited. The grandkids, uh, they're also extremely excited. Um, we are starting our kind of a series over the, over the month of February, months of, member, of February and March. We're going to be, uh, I've, I've tried to figure out what, what's some cool name that we call this. Do we call it like Bodybuilders, like building the body of Christ. I, no, that seems cheesy. Uh, and I was like, is it foundations of faith? Someone will inevitably come back and go, you missed one. I'm like, what? I'm like, okay, we should have gone nine weeks. Great point. Yeah, that's right. Or So this really is, for many of us who have been around for a long time, you could call this first principles. You could call this foundations of faith. You could remember, hey, I re- remember when I read this. You can call the next eight weeks anything you want. Uh, But in what we're going to be doing, we've been talking about this inside the church. And if you're visiting with us, we're really glad to have you here. And we're having this time, this uh, this year, really 2024, we're kind of putting our hard hats on a little bit. And we're just doing some foundational work, man. We're getting back to basics. And we're thrilled about that. We're excited about that. And in the book of Isaiah... Chapter 66, the last chapter. Let me get there here. There we go. And this is God speaking to his people. And I think it's not just to the Jews, but I think to us as well. He says, this is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Anybody seen any of the sunsets lately? It's a pretty nice footstool. God goes, doesn't compare to where he lives and where we're going. Huh? That's an amazing picture. But he says, where is the house you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? And so they came into being, declares the Lord. This is the one I esteem. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. And really today, I don't think there's a better place to start as we're talking about getting back to basics. Then we're going to be talking about the word of God this morning. I love this topic. For me, I was an engineering student at the University of Washington when I got reached out to and began to study the Bible. Someone didn't invite me to church. I remember Alex Whitaker asking me, hey, have you ever studied the Bible before? And I had about 20 or 22 different groups, churches, masses. I talked to a monk. I went to a synagogue. I went to a mosque. I was seeking truth. And what I found was a lot of hypocrisy. 
I don't know if you can relate to that. And what that did for me is I was like, I, no matter if God is real or not, I just don't want to be a man like that. And I got discouraged. And it was interesting to me because the, the opening question that Alex Whitaker is, have you ever studied the Bible before? And I was like, ah, oh, I've been, you know, I was discouraged and a little disheartened. Oh, I've, I've been to church. He's like, that was not my question. And I went, that is true. And he is an insufferable Yankees fan from New York. He's from Hell's Kitchen and goes, have you ever had New York pizza? And I was a Seattle boy, and my answer was, no, I, I haven't done that either. And so we started in the right place, which was pizza with a few of the guys, and we began to open the Word of God, and it changed my life. Have you had a similar experience? And if you haven't, I want to invite you. As a church, it's likely if you're visiting with us, you're probably going to get a few things today. One, maybe an unwanted hug. And you might be giving all of the right signs. You're, you're extending high five and they're like, oh, and it's, we, we're a family. We like hugging. That's kind of our style. You're probably going to invite it to eat food because that's what friends and family do. And you're probably going to have someone go, hey, you open a gram and a cup of coffee and open the Bible together. You want to study the Bible. You want to read it together because we are a Bible believing church. And we are striving desperately together to be a Bible-obeying church. That doesn't happen accidentally, and it doesn't happen individually. We do it together. You will never wake up one morning and go, oh my goodness, I'm exactly like Jesus. You know, I just, man, I just kind of put myself on cruise control, and bang, I haven't sinned in months. And then you talk to Mason, and he will inform you that is not the case. No, but... I'll be honest, if we're not careful, we can start the race in a great way, but it doesn't mean you'll finish it in a great way, right? Yeah, anybody, anybody already abandoned ship on their New Year's resolutions? You're like, what's a New Year's resolution? Exactly. But what we want to talk about today is really to focus about the Word of God. Now, the last few months, many of you guys have kind of got, become accustomed a little bit I like to do a bit more of an expository preaching. I like to grab a text, dig deep, rip it up, and, 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 and the next few sermons really are going to be a little bit more topical. And I think some of us have grown up and kind of snub our nose. We're like sommeliers of fine preaching. We're like, oh, topical. <laughs> That's so amateur. No. <laughs> if we're not careful, what can happen is you can do a topical study of the Bible and you can quote God in the, in the way you want and kind of make him say what you want if you're not careful, right? That's the weakness or the limitation of, of picking and choosing verses and not reading in context. And it's a fair criticism. It's a fair concern. But when we're respectful, when we're cautious, and when we're real seekers, what we, ha- what we find is that as we scour the scripture over the 1,500 years that were written, in three different languages, on multiple continents, multiple men, women involved in this beautiful story, over 400 prophecies that are coming together in Christ. If, if, if it's not written by God, it certainly wasn't written by a man. And as we read the scripture, for if, if, we, if we pursue it and we dig in, what we find is that there's these threads of topics throughout the scriptures and they teach us about God's character and they teach us about our relationship with him. And we're going to do some of those. What we feel like, if there's a few rocks that got to get in the jar, that's what we're going to talk about. Is it the whole, is it the whole buffet? No. 
So if you come to me in nine weeks and go, Jeff, you did not do a thorough expository teaching of the Holy Spirit or marriage or communion. And I'm going to go, you're right. Because it's like basics, back to the basics, not advanced to the absolute crazy 400 level stuff. So we will get there. But we can't get to the advanced stuff if we don't master the basics. Is that fair? So can I ask for a little bit of patience? Excellent. A little bit. A little bit. So what I'm going to do today is we're is I want to talk about how the Bible is a foundation for us. And it's a foundation in several ways. Turn with me over to Matthew chapter 7. If you've got a Bible, we're going to use it today. If you have a journal, I would highly recommend you using it. Because if you don't, t- if you don't turn quickly you may find that we're moving on to scriptures because I am going to give us a lot of scripture in the hopes that you go back and be a Berean, who we're going to talk about here by the end of the sermon, and that you don't just listen to what I say, agree with it, and get inspired by Natalie's great, pre- you know, her singing today. She had a little bit more swag this morning. They've been like getting out of their comfort zone. They did a great job this morning. And I'm going to encourage you to be a little bit like Natalie. you got to go home and get out of your comfort zone, open your Bible, and, and you do the other half of the sermon. Go home. Smile. Sing to yourself. Inspire yourself with your singing. No, that's not something I'll be doing. That's why. Matthew chapter 7. Are we there? All right, church, let's roll. We're getting into this. Matthew chapter 7. We're going to talk about the first thing is that the Bible is a foundation for our lives. In Matthew chapter 7, as Jesus is finishing up the Sermon on the Mount, He says in verse 21. Now, if you're wondering, I'm, if you're here today only looking for the nice hallmark, super encouraging, sappy religious verses, we're going to read a few that might be a little bit of a cold shower. Because, but a lot of them are going to be red-lettered and straight from Jesus. A little bit like this one. Verse 21. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on, on that day, so on a judgment day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The the rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. And when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. The Bible, Jesus' words, they're meant to be a foundation of our life. Jesus is making this comparison. He's, He's comparing these two guys. And he's like, there's like one guy who builds his foundation on sand, which if you do that, you can build quickly. I mean, how fast can you build an intricate, amazing, award-winning sandcastle? Have you ever seen those competitions? It's like awesome. 
I have never been able to duplicate any one of those I've found. Mine is like, it's just like a, a mound. It looks like an anthill. Like I, I just, I don't have the inspiration. But you can build quickly. You can build intricately. It can look amazing and impressive in one big wave and boom, it's all gone. You build on a rock, you build on a foundation, and it stands. And Jesus is comparing these two guys, and he's saying, and he's talking about their lives, and it's the wind and the rain. The same storms, same circumstances, same wind, same rain, boom, same pressure, foundation's the difference. One stands, the other one, in this, and then in Luke 6 would say, it falls, completely destroyed. Is your life built on the Bible or is it built on what you feel, think, and like? That's the question. And you don't know until the wind and the rains and the storms beat against your home. Have you ever felt those winds? Have you felt them in your marriage? Have you felt them in the secret or pornography or the temptation or the relationship that isn't with your husband and wife where you're getting some attention and you feel, I know I'm I'm beginning to give my heart away, but no one would know. Or it's the drinking or the gambling or the tobacco or it's, it's the secrets. We can feel it. We can feel the pressure. We can feel the anxiety, the depression. We can feel the winds and the rains, can't we? I know I've felt them. And the, and the issue is, if you build on the foundation, Jesus doesn't go, you don't have to worry about storms anymore. That's not the promise. The promise is that you'll stand. What are you building on? What are you building on? Is it enough for you that Jesus says it? Is that enough? Do I have to find you a PhD in clinical psychology to get you to do it? Do 12, 15, 20 people have to come and beat down your door to pressure you in order to obey? I hope not. That's not the church we want to be. I don't want to twist arms. I don't like my arm twisted. You know what I'm saying? And I'm like, and that's the difference between great accountability and legalism and weirdness. Right? Like, it's not weird if I, like, show up to a Kansas City Chiefs game and I'm rooting them on. Like, everyone's like, awesome, great. I can paint my, you know, I can take the shirt off, paint myself red, and everyone's fired up. But Travis Kelsey doesn't call me and go, hey, bro, we missed you at practice last night. You know why he didn't call me? Because I'm not on the team. There's no expectation of the team. And if I show up, I will be probably not so politely asked to leave. And so the question is, man, if you're visiting church, that is amazing. If you're checking out God and checking out Jesus, that's incredible. But for some of us, we wear the name badge Jesus. You're on the team. Does someone have to pressure you enough to get you to do what Jesus says? Or do you go, he said it, I do it, I want my life to stand. That's it. I don't know about you, I want to be a part of a church that's because Jesus said so church. Not because me as the leader am charismatic enough, because I never will be. Eventually that will run out. You're going to run out of my stories, and at some point we go, Jeff, it's time for you to move on to a different church. We've heard all your funny stories. Thank you. But if it's about the preacher and not about the message being preached, you follow. Don't let your life crash. He's telling us about this personally. But he's also, this isn't just applied to us per- personally. Turn over to 1 Timothy 4. All right, great stuff. For some reason, my fingers 
maybe it's Satan. I'm not able to grab the pages. I turn a hundred pages or one at a time. I don't know if you've ever had that with your Bible. You're like, oh, I went for Zechariah. No, like get back. Yeah. First Timothy chapter four. This is Paul now writing towards the end of his life and the end of his ministry. And he's writing to Timothy. And he says this to him. And almost certainly by this point, Timothy is leading according to church history and what we know, he's almost certainly leading the church in Ephesus, which at that point was one of the largest cities and probably one of the largest Christian congregations during this time. It was a multicultural city. It was huge. And you also had an enormous amount of sin, including temple prostitution right down the road. You had an enormous amount of culture beating on it. And here's what's amazing that he tells him in 1 Timothy 4. He says, command and teach these things. I'm sorry, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13. I knew exactly where I was at. I can't believe you guys didn't read my mind. Thanks for checking the work. Man, you guys are Bereans. You guys are so amazing. I think Natalie said that. She was feeling confident this morning. I think she was like, what verse, bro? No, she, no that was my wife. I'm sorry. That's, that's not true. Verse 13. Until I come... Devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. And it's amazing because so many times we love reading this last verse 16 about watch your life and doctrine closely, right? And that's true. That certainly is a singular you in your life without a doubt. But what's amazing about this is that Paul is actually training a preacher, a church leader and going, this is what you do in the church. This is the baton that you've been passed. This is a responsibility, the torch. And so here in our church, we publicly read scripture. We will preach we will teach and we are not giving way to what the culture is saying is true, right, and popular. That's right. Why? Because it changes. God's word doesn't. Yeah, that's right. How many things that were popular 30, 40 years ago are so out of, so out of practice, so out of popularity now, right. but they were actually great things. How did we go from marriage being beautiful and honorable to something that is trashed where we give our sexuality away, not just for free. We want to be watched on the internet. We have abandoned all sense. We've abandoned it. Basic discipline or consequences for our kids, our children, are equated with child abuse. Why we simultaneously demand their perfection in school and expect the government to regulate it, but we don't take responsibility as parents. Like, we're, we're so turned around, we, we're, we're pinballing back and forth to whatever the culture says, who's the most recent professional, whatever, about child rearing discipline. Now we got the French model, now we've got this. We are so blown, exactly like Paul says, by every random wind of teaching. Unless. You're anchored in the word of God. Right. And we want to learn from experts. We want to stay humble. Humble in spirit and contrite. That's, you know, Isaiah 66. We want to stay there. But we come back to the scriptures. How do I know how to be an awesome dad or follower of Jesus? I come back to the scriptures. I don't have to guess. 
How do I know my daughter's value isn't in their bodies, whatever it will be in 10 years? Because I go back to their creator who knitted them. How do I know what's true and right? How do I know how I get to heaven? I go back to the creator. I go back to the one who made truth. And my question is, is that the kind of church you want? There's a genuine concern for me that I actually think some of us in here want to be lukewarm. We want it more culturally sensitive and right. We want it less gospel and more what's accepted outside of the church. And I'm not saying, man, I've I've, I've felt this temptation too. Are you kidding me? Do you know how hard it is to preach the gospel in our modern day? And if you say it wrong, someone's recorded you and it will go on the internet and it will never die, ever. It's a brutally hard time to be a preacher or a Christian, a true follower of Jesus. But I don't think it could ever be more important. Do you want a church like this? Do you still want one like this? Because we've got to fight for this together. Not fight one another. Fight together against Satan, who I think is trying to strangle out the truth of the gospel. I love this. He goes, watch your life and doctrine closely. It's an interesting question to think about. What do you think is more important? What you do or what you believe? It's an interesting like mental exercise, isn't it? But I was thinking about this. I mean, if you, if you see Eric Kraft in the next few weeks, just give him a cup of coffee and a hug. So there is this huge, like, triple seven. Maybe hug his daughter. Maybe, yeah, just console her. He doesn't like coffee. Well, get, then there, there's the problem. Help him. Help the brother out. A diet Mountain Dew. Oh, we've got work to do. All right. Well, well don't worry. See, thankfully, that's not in the scriptures. Fruit of the vine is, however. Anyway. That's a whole nother sermon. And I thought about this. You know, they're doing this massive retrofit project with the triple sevens down. And so he is like, they have brought in mechanics from all over the U.S. And they're taking these triple sevens and essentially like nose to tail, they're running them through and completely upgrading them. I think for one of the major airlines, I don't know if I can say it out loud without being killed. Don't kill me, Eric. And I was like, man, could you imagine the boss rolling up and Eric's like, oh, we got your triple seven here. Would you prefer the left wing or the right wing stay on? You're like, uh, is there like an option C? Right? I mean, could you, I mean, I don't care how awesome the left wing is. We need both the wings, do we not? And if not, I refuse to participate. Do you know what I'm saying? You go, well, man, that's pretty entitled. You just demand perfection from everything, don't you? Both wings attached fully. Next, you're going to tell me you want the windows sealed. You're like, well, yeah, all that sounds good. Because without both wings, this thing doesn't get off the ground. And for some of us, we go, hey, Jeff, I don't read my Bible because my life, I'm a pretty good person. And I go, you sure about that? <laughs> God knows my heart. He knows my intention. I know you rarely see me at church, but God knows my intention. I know I never give contribution. I'm massively in debt. I'll buy all the iPhones I want, but God knows my intention. I know I don't ever 
share my faith, but I believe in the gospel. You know what I mean? I believe in the idea of evangelizing the world. And these are things I've said. Have you said them too? And I go, I don't, I don't know my heart nearly as well as I think. And the truth of it is, it doesn't matter what I think. I'm not the judge for me or for you. That's why we open the scriptures and figure out, man, where do we find true doctrine? We find it from the gospel. We find it from the author of truth. Not the culture, not each other, not our families, not our hearts and our emotions. We got to come back to an open Bible. Does that make sense, family? That's an uncomfortable thing to say out loud and hear out loud, isn't it? I'm wondering if this is the convicting sound of silence. And I say this of, we do this together. There is music, isn't there, playing? Is there music being played somewhere? I'm hearing it. I don't know. You guys hearing this? If not, I'm hearing things. I'm like, am I hallucinating? I might be. But for us as a church family, we got to make the decision. We're going to go back to this. We're going to preach and teach as a church. This is true as a foundation of our lives personally, but it's got to be true for us as a church. And so that means the things we expect of ourselves, the things that we expect of one another, the things we think are normal. What, what is normal Christianity? That we go back to the Bible to figure that out. That you and me, we, we can't, we're not going to create these ideas in our heads. Does that make sense? Do, do you agree with that? Because that's what we've got to decide to be. Because if not, then at some point, you've got to wonder which God we're actually following. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. We all together on that? Yeah. And if you're like, Jeff, wow, you're really getting this. Now, this is, I'm, I'm preaching. The, the guy, the first person I'm preaching to is the guy in the mirror. You know how hard it was to write this sermon this way? What do I say? Oh, all the, I'm like, I'm convicted. But it's important. We come back. We check our work. We come back to scriptures as individuals and as a church. We might find some difficult things. But because it's, it's God and because he shows us the truth, he also shows us the way to obey. And he shows us the way home. Yeah. There's hope with that. Yeah. But we will never solve a problem that we will not face. Yeah. It's also, so it's not just the foundation of our life as individuals and as a community. It's also the foundation of our faith and our salvation. Turn over to John chapter 12. How we doing, family? I noticed we were a bit quieter after that point than usual. Huh? And if you wrestle with any of the things I'm talking about, join the club. So did I. Sometimes so do I. And we're going to repent and change together. Somebody's like, Jeff, wow. I'm like, that's the beauty of this, guys, is that you don't have to be perfect. You just got to be honest. You got to be willing. And that's beautiful. John chapter 12. It's the foundation of our faith and our salvation. Check this out. In John chapter 12, in verse 47, at the end of an interesting conversation that's happening here. And we'll back it up to give us a little bit of context here. So in verse 42, we'll start. It says, but at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him. Leaders and talking about the leaders of Israel. And he says, but because of the Pharisees, they would not confess their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. For they praise from men more than praise from God. Not the point, but a convicting line nonetheless. It says, then Jesus cried out. 
when a man believes in me, he does not only, he does not, excuse me, he does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. When he looks at me, he sees the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Now, look at this. This is amazing to me. He says, as for the person who hears my words but does not keep them or obey them or abide in them, depending on your translation, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world but to save it. There, there is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. That very word which I spoke will condemn him at the last day. For I did not speak on my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. And it's interesting because as Jesus, man, people are wrestling with being put out of the synagogue. It's the, it's the, it's the leaders of, of the kingdom of Israel, this, the Pharisees, the teachers. I mean, there's an enormous amount of authority. And not to mention, this is at the center of their family and community life. There's a lot at stake here if you want to put your faith in Jesus. There's a lot there. And they're like, man, I'm, I'm afraid. Man, I don't know about you. I felt that. Yeah. Pressure from people, rejection, fear. I mean, man, that's, that seems to be, that seems fine enough. But Jesus goes, what's really amazing, and this is also why we have to be careful that we don't stop and just read what we want to read because I love it. Jesus goes, for I did not come to judge, but to save the world. And all of us go, amen. Let's put that on a bumper sticker and not keep reading, right? Because I kind of like that part, right? I'm like, but Jesus is saying present tense. I didn't come this time to judge, but that doesn't mean there isn't going to be a judge. And here's the thing. I love this. Anybody who's ever taken a class at any time of their life, what is the number one most asked question of any student, any generation, in any location on the planet? Is this on the test? That's exactly right. Is that not the question? That's always the question. Is this on the test? That's like the universal power off switch for like, oh, I don't need to listen to this. I'm good. And I don't know about you. Have you ever asked like, Jesus... Well, it's like going to be on the exam, man. Anybody ever felt insecure of like, I just hope to make it in? First yeah. John 5 says, these things have been written so that you may know you have eternal life. This is my, one of my massive problems with Calvinism. We don't have to guess. We're not winging it. But God goes, no, 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 I'm going to show you. In fact, he goes, it's not. It's the guy who rejects my words. The words are going to come back. You, you want to know what's on the most important exam you will ever take in the existence of humankind. I love this. Jesus goes, here it is, baby. You never, you don't got to be smart. You just got to read. I am so grateful for that. And I remember, I'm sure all of you guys can relate to this, taking differential equations in university. Oh, DiffyQ, love it. Yeah, all the engineers are like, oh, that's why I have acid reflux from that class, right? <laughs> Not the most beautiful, you know, quarter of my college experience, but had a great instructor. Instructor actually was a TA. Gal was from India, brilliant, amazing, beautiful, like, well, she was incredible, incredible TA. Not all TAs are created equal. Uh, she was amazing. And I remember the first day when we walked in, to differential equations, which you don't know anything, by the way. You don't know what you're going to get taught. And she handed everyone an exam. Four questions, two on the front, two on the back. You look at it and you go, looks easy. 
She goes, you've got 53 minutes till this, the class is done. And we're like, hurt? What's this? She goes, that's the final exam. <laughs> we're all like, huh? You know, it's about like that 60 seconds of like, oh, this is like high school math. And she's like, I'm not kidding you. Go. I mean, no one. I mean, if you've scored a few points because you're an overachiever, right? And like decided to study before class or whatever. No one knew what they were doing. Everybody bombed. She's like, keep paper. You're going to receive one of those in 10 weeks. That is the final exam. Know what's on it. You will ace it. And you know what most of the class started doing? No, I don't. No way. No way. It's ridiculous. She's lying. Of course she's lying. Like, and you better believe in 10 weeks we showed back up. I was not one of those people, by the way. I was like, I'll take you at your word. She's seen, you know, yes, ma'am, let's get, let's get going. And when you do this, you got to show your work. So you kind of step by step through how you're solving it. You can't just write the answer. You go, well, this is how you go from step A to step, you know, Z. And here we go. And you go, oh, awesome. hundred percent. I had people that showed up in the class and they got the same paper and they go, this looks familiar. I was like, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> you should have listened. You didn't believe in her. You had no faith. These words came back and judged you. It's the same equations. Man, come on, it couldn't get easier. And the issue is, is that it wasn't an intellect problem. It was actually an integrity and a humility problem. I think Jesus looks at us and says the same thing. That day, did that professor condemn me? I bombed the final. No, it wasn't final exam day. If you listen, she saved you. You got 100%. You know exactly what to study. And that's what I love about Jesus. He goes, guys, I've come to save the world. Here's the final. Here it is. Well, I don't understand it. It's not in my language. I don't know what language you speak, but I think we've literally translated it both into dwarvish, elvish, and pig Latin. There is, I think there's a Bible that's been translated into Klingon. There is not a language you can speak that you cannot have the scriptures. I mean, it's, it's amazing to me. You want to, you want to speak in a science fiction language? You can study the scriptures, baby. You got options. So my question isn't, do you have enough smarts? My question is, do you have the humility and the consistency? Is it the foundation of your salvation? Because if it isn't the open Bible, then what are you building on? What is the light that you're trying to follow? If it isn't the North Star, if it isn't the Jesus light, then which light are you following? Because he says that's, that leads to eternal life. And exactly, not only how, but what Jesus taught is directly from the Father. That's a beautiful thing. What a promise but it doesn't, but oh wait, there's more. Romans chapter 10, we're gonna keep moving. There's too much to cover today. I had five points. We will not be covering all five. Why? Because we were, because as the scripture says, the brain can only comprehend what the booty can withstand. I don't know if you've read that scripture. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, first opinions, chapter 41. Yeah, 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 yeah. Some, yeah, so, some things are opinions, but there is some wisdom there. Fair enough. 
And the whole church is like, amen, unashamedly. All right, amen. I, get to pre- I don't have to preach in Portuguese anymore. Do you know how awesome this is? I've had so much to say. Uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 17. And it says here, and I love this, and this is in the middle of the book of Romans, which is by many secular, not just religious authors, considered one of the best pieces of literature ever constructed in humankind. It is a gorgeous piece of prose. Stunning. Stunning. And it's even more stunning in Greek because of the un- double entendres or the triple entendres and the way it's used. It's just, you're like, you're a genius, bro. It's amazing. But as genius and as difficult as some parts are of it, Verse 17 of chapter 10 is not. And he says, he says, consequently, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word of Christ. Faith comes from hearing the message. That's where it comes from. Friends, are you visiting? Are you around? Are you coming back to church? Are you feeling weak? Are you feeling like, Jeff, I feel like I've wandered, man. I, I don't know if I'm in the faith. Paul says, test yourself to find out if you're even faith writing to churches well no one should ever question their own salvation well i don't i don't read that in the scriptures actually i see the opposite of no no no. test yourself like make sure you're in it man don't guess don't wing this it's like a good husband when somebody walks up and go how are you guys doing what does the husband do how are we doing honey i'm like that's wise that guy's been around the block a few times hasn't he he goes oh we're doing great you see her face is like "Mm." you're like oh we'll get back on that great great question um no how's my faith doing i need more faith where do i go open the bible i hear about jesus why do we preach and teach as a church because how do we grow in our faith man we 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 get the message we talk about jesus we get the word of god out how do we know if we are christians how do we know if i'm if what i've got is right real true and, and and gonna last eternity and i come back to this that's how i know where real faith is and that's also how i make sure that the Jesus in my heart and my head isn't just an idol that I've painted up to look like Jesus and put his name tag on. That's how you kill idolatry. You find the living God. It's scary sometimes. But it's unbelievably simple and powerful. Are you feeling weak in your faith? Do you feel like the, the you know, have you, are you on emergency like battery saving mode in your faith? Now, here's the thing I've never heard someone do. I mean, I just bought this brand new phone. This thing only lasted like two days. Can you believe i got to throw this thing out? It's already out of battery. Can you believe it? Two days? i got to throw this out. You know how expensive this thing was? Said no one ever, right? right. You go, go plug it in. <laughs> it's probably a re- two days. That's a solid phone, actually. Good job, bro. Just you know that you know where the cord goes, right? Like plug it on, and you're like, oh well, I've got a, I've got a foreign plug. It doesn't fit into the walls here for like five ninety nine and eighteen hours of Amazon Prime. You too can plug your phone in. There's you can buy a phone from anywhere on the planet and it'll work anywhere. Are you low on faith, dude? Plug in. Don't throw yourself in the trash. Don't hit the door. Don't blame the church. Get plugged in. Plug in. That's how we do it. Man, there's so many good, there's so many points here. The last thing I'll talk about, because it's it's an honor, 
in order. It's the foundations of our emotions and our decisions. Turn with me over to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. And the goal as we teach through some of these Bible studies is not to necessarily thoroughly cover every passage. There are at least 20 other verses I wanted to talk about today or at least study out. And in a personal Bible study, we might take a bit more time and walk through it. That, that's the point. A personal Bible study is meant to, you know, in some of these, a Bible study or these basic principles, some of us are just fundamentally against all formal Bible studies of all sort. We need to be organically led by the Spirit. Mike, isn't God a God of order and not chaos? I mean, there's entire chapters in Corinthians about not worshiping chaotically. Right. But that aside, when we think about this, we, they're meant to be, like if you go, if you go to Macy's or if you go to Nordstrom, you're going to a friend's wedding, you, buy a, you, you go and you buy a suit if you're a guy, right? I mean, you want to look nice. But what's the chance that that suit off the rack will fit me? There's like a negative 49% chance. I mean, it's like impossible, right? Because why? Because I'm 5'5", five five and I'm a power lifter, and I put on pants, and if they fit me in the waist, then the legs are like, <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's nice. That's, that's, it's a cute look if you're into like spandex at a wedding or whatever. I'm like, this is not working. And if you want to bend over, you're like, <laughs> I did the splits in fourth grade for, you know, for our talent show, and I've never done it again in public because... People still grab me like 20 years later. Oh, remember that time? Mrs. Wyman's class where you split your pants when you did the splits? I was like, never, no, no one's ever let it down. So that's why I like slightly looser pants. It's like post-traumatic split disorder, whatever. So that's me. But then if I buy something that fits me in the legs, it's like an upside down parachute. What do you do with it? You take it to a tailor and just tailor the suit. And that's a little bit what the Bible studies are. Some of us in our faith and our past are built a little bit like me. We do a little bit more tailoring. Sometimes they completely reconstruct the pants for it. Some of us have had trauma, questions, backgrounds, and we go, yeah, we're not doing a normal Bible study about the Word of God. Let's dig in and address your questions and deep dive because God can handle your questions. He can handle your sin. He can handle your past. He can handle your secrets, your shame, your weakness and limitations. He can handle it all. He's already known before you did and still picked you. That's beautiful. But the reason why the size of the suit it is is because it's the average size of a dude approximately that size. That's, that's why they do it that way. Yeah. So no one has to tailor that much. At least that's the theory. I have not found that to be true. <laughs> so that's what Bible study is meant to be. Right. And you take this personal Bible study and you make it a sermon to get it to land so that we remember it and we connect it and it moves us to action. It's a little bit of a different tailor. So this morning, if you're going, Jeff, you haven't, you didn't talk about enough passages. You should have p- p- picked this, pick, you know, this side of it. Go back and study it. Share with each other. And if you're coming to church, this is the first time, or you're coming back, grab the person who brought you. Grab a friend, or grab someone that's nodding, or like, yeah, giving feedback. You're like, they look like they've been around a while. Grab them and go. Can we do that thing? Can we sit down and start reading the Bible? I need to get my faith back here. Right. It'll change your life. Yeah. But in Mark chapter seven, the foundation of our emotions and our decisions. There's this unbelievable story. This is where we're going to end. In Mark chapter 7 and verse 1, we'll pick it up. It says, The Pharisees and some teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean, and that is 
unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the traditions of the elders instead of eating with food, eating their food with, quote, unclean hands? <laughs> the amount of conversations in the Bible after it says, like, Jesus replied or he replied is just fantastic. <laughs> and this is one of those examples. And I, and I don't know how you pick, I just, like, picture it in your mind. Like, how does the face... I know the faces I make at my kids when they start like acting up, you know, it's like, what in the world? Like, I don't know. What was Jesus's face here? I don't know. But you kind of, he's like, verse six, he replied, Isaiah was right about you when he prophesied about you hypocrites as it is written. Then he starts quoting the old Testament. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. There's an exclamation point there. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother. And anyone who curses his father and mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father and mother, whatever help you might have received from me is korban. That is a gift devoted to God then you will no longer let him do anything for his father and mother. Thus, you nullify the word of God by your traditions that you have handed down and you do many things like that. This is wild. Where, where are they at? Right? At this point, to even have this conversations about hand washing, they're in Gennesaret, and the Pharisees walked from Jerusalem. That is like walking from here to Emporia to have a talk about hand washing. How committed do you got to be to walk? It's like I'm going to walk to Salina and chat with, with, with Laura. Hey, I heard you haven't been washing your hands before dinner. You're like, what is, what is the deal with hand washing, bro? That's a lot of commitment for this talk. And what he's saying, and what we see is these Pharisees at this point, the Pharisees in line of about almost 200 years before, it's about 170 years prior to this, what you see is that this Pharisee movement began as this counter-cultural revolution. And actually, if you remember, Bruno last week talked a little bit about it as well, that the Pharisees started as this group of people, much like our, our history of churches, the Restoration Movement, where they said, Let's just get back. Let's, can we push back against the culture a little bit and just restore God's word in our life again? Can we just do that? And that's where the Pharisees began. And it was this counter-cultural, counter-Greek, counter-hypersexuality, counter everything is right, thou of God's, do what you want. Does this sound familiar? Yeah. Oh, we're, no, we're super, we're super progressive here in our culture. No one's ever been like America. There's nothing new under the sun. Nothing. And they said, can we just get back to Bible, please? Can we do that? And that's where the Pharisees began. Fast forward just over two, well, just under 200 years later. 
and they've created commentaries about the word that they now have created commentaries about the commentaries. You've got the Talmud and the Midrash, and now you see them rolling, full-blown rolling and walking 80 miles to have a talk with the Son of God of why don't you and your guys do what the traditions say. These guys were invested in this, weren't they not? They were serious about this stuff. It started good. Started Bible. Then it became cultural. Then it became racial. And then you start to see that the traditional, the beliefs of being a Jew and being clean started to bleed in how we treat the Gentiles in the market. I'm not even going to let their dust get into my food. I'm going to go home and wash everything, including my meal. Fascinating, isn't it? It was a big deal. It was defining. It was deep. It was real. But Jesus turns the corner and gets to the real issues, actually, as he almost always does. And he's going, there's this interesting, deeper question we got to talk about. And for some reason, this made me think of a story from one of the first bumps we had in our marriage. Uh, Anybody? uh, Sorry, I'm talking a lot about our marriage. I guess I'm just getting open about all the stuff Amanda and I are going through. Uh, Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Um, But I don't know if if you, if any of us those that that are married, dating, if you remember like like OG like first fights and how ridiculous some of them are. You laugh, kind of. You know, you you laugh now. You did not laugh then, right? But I remember the first time Amanda and I, as a married couple, went to the grocery store. Uh, well, I went because I'm an only child and my wife's a twin and we hadn't worked out love languages yet, which is I am not her twin. I am her husband. So I do need personal time, but that was a whole nother thing. We got, we eventually got there. That was a different type of fight, but we went to the grocery store and my wife's a baker. Amazing. Legendary. So she was like, oh, great. What's next? She goes, we need butter. Awesome. So what did I do being a helpful husband? I went and grabbed the little box of sticks of butter. She goes, that's not butter. (laughs) And there's been a lot of training since that day. (laughs) And there's this time when you're kind of wrestling with, "Mm, you know, facts don't care about your feelings. That's a reasonable statement, but man, it's got consequences, baby. And I was like... Uh, and I had no idea what to say. And I'm like, yeah, it, it's butter. It's just so right here. She goes, no, 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 that's margarine. So I'm trying to scramble in my head with every ounce of mental energy. And I go, well, well what's butter? And she grabbed a tub, a plastic tub. You know, like one of those things that if you let it set out on your counter for a few hours, it turns into gasoline. It's one of those, you know what I'm saying? And she goes, that's butter. And I'm like, I was like, baby, it's not. It, it, it's not. And she, and you see this, like, in her eyes, there was this distress of, like, what are you talking She's like, of course it's butter. It's been butter my whole life. Do you, my, my mom told me this was butter. This is what we've always used. What do you mean it's not butter? And I'm like, well, no, look at it. Like, show me, like, on, like, on the, like on the label, what's it made of? And she, neither one of us could pronounce most of the ingredients on the back. And I was like, on the label, like, what, 
where does it say butter? And she goes, right here. And it was literally, I can't believe it's not butter. <laughs> like she literally couldn't believe it wasn't butter. Like literally, and I'm, and I'm having this conversation. I'm going, I'm going, honey, like, like it literally says on the label, it's not butter. It says it. It says it's not butter. It's being honest, compassionate, open with itself. It's talking to you. And this conversation, we're in the grocery store, we're at HEB, and, and I'm like, I'm wrestling with, I need to be right, and I need to deliver the truth. I'm a preacher of the truth, right? And then I'm also a husband, and I'm watching my wife wrestling with, like, existential truths. And it was why she's like, oh, oh, and I was like, look, look, and I, and I said, it was said butter, but like on the box, it's like butter, 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 little small butter, 100% butter, sweet cream butter, and it's cream, salt, and love are the ingredients or whatever, right? And, and I just, her, her reaction, like the, her face in my mind, I wish, I wish I could have taken a picture and not get punished for it. Her face was like, it, it has to be like, and I was like, dude, and I love Valerie. Valerie's also a fantastic baker. We had many, we laugh now. We did not laugh that day. And there are some things, no matter how delicious, no matter how true, no matter if we heard it from our sweet, amazing moms or dads or thousands of people might agree, or depending on how you turn the label, you can make it say butter. And I think there's this dangerous warning for all of us. Yeah. I think some of us like to turn our table just enough yeah. to make it say what we want. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I want to read just the part that says, do not judge. Yeah. But I don't want to finish that verse. Or I want to, I want to, I want to read you the scripture about forgiveness. But I don't want to go home and read to myself. Or I expect generosity giving when I'm in need. But I don't find it when I'm seeing others. And I'm certainly not looking for others' needs. I love how gentle, honest, and patient that the preacher is when I'm the lost sheep. But do not ask me to be a part of going out there and fighting off wolves to save other ones. I've read the Bible. God knows my heart. So I don't need to know his Bible. And what happens is he goes, guys, what you've done is you've begun to trade Pharisees. You are putting down God's commands and picking up traditions. Right. Now, I, Korban is an interesting thing to me because Korban, I mean, the command is to honor mom and dad. But many of us in here have aging parents. Some of us in here are the aging parents. <laughs> amen. Wiser. Wiser, more mature parents. Yeah, amen. And here's the truth. Any of us have taken care of dying or aging family or friends. No, it's not. It can be a very humiliating and vulnerable place to be. It is exhausting to caretake. When you're cleaning the people you love and you're watching your Superman, you're watching your dad crumble in his own body. Or when you're holding hands like we did with Amanda's dad. We're having to talk about Randy, her dad who died of pancreatic cancer, and we're just around the table just crying, just remembering. 
And when you're standing or sitting next to dad holding your hand, there is nothing you can do, nothing. And isn't there a reasonable part of us that would go, the pain and the challenge of that is so deep. If I could just take all of my savings and hand it to the church and go, that's how I'm going to honor mom and dad. There's something reasonable about there, isn't it? There's something reasonable about the difficulty in the fight. You can almost go, man, I, I get it. It hurts. It feels overwhelming. It's exhausting. Honoring mom and dad is not always pretty. It's not just encouragement cards and buying their favorite coffee at Starbucks. And Jesus looks at them and knows all the hurts and all the exhaustion and all the reasonable excuses and goes, there is still not a place for that kind of substitution. You don't get to set aside God's Bible and do what doesn't hurt. It's not about you and me. It's about God and there's an indignation and there are exclamation points and he's quoting as they're going, man, you hypocrites. You're hypocrites. Why? You're an actor. You put on the mask, but you don't go home and do it, man. When you're on the stage, when people see you, you do it. But what happens in private? Who are you? And God's a God that gets down and gets dirty with us and he cleans us up in the most terrible, humiliating places. That is the heart of our Lord. That is literally what Paul is writing in Philippians about he humbled himself and made himself a slave, a servant, and humbled himself to death for you and me. That's Jesus. That's our Lord. That's his heart. But he goes, you have a fine way of setting aside, of making trades, of convenience, comfort, and your hurts to not obey God's word. So let me ask you, have you made some trades? Have you been hurt by obeying in the past and no longer are willing to? That cross, I've been there. I don't do it again. Thank you. Why are you pressuring me? Why are you asking me? Why do we talk about outreach? Why do we talk about the poor? Why do we talk about reading our Bibles? Why do we talk about forgiveness? When are we going to stop? I will stop preaching it when you start doing it. Because it's not about me. Jeff's word do not lead to eternal life. Jesus' words do. And he says in, in John chapter 6 that they are spirit and they are truth. That the Father and the living word of God, his Son, and the Spirit are in complete agreement. This is our only way forward, church. This is our only light in the darkness. It's the only thief to keep young men pure. It's the only way that old men will see visions again and dream dreams and the young will follow and the world will be transformed. That's the only hope is that we are a people who are founded on God's word and God's word alone. Amen. And friends, this is hard. It's not accidental, it's intentional. We're going to do it together. We're going to do it intentionally. And I'm so excited that we have a church that's eager and wanting, even if we feel weak. We're going to plug back in, but we're going to do it together. God bless you today. I'm going to ask Mark come up and close our service.